Surrender. How does that word make you feel? Holding up the proverbial white flag to whomever, whatever it is that's challenging you? Does it carry maybe a sense of humiliation, like you're giving up, like you're quitting, like you failed? Or does it provide a sense of relief because whatever it is you're giving up isn't worth the fight? Wasn't meant to be a challenge in the first place? Or perhaps it wasn't yours to deal with at all? I suppose it depends on what we're talking about and who it is that is judging our decision to surrender. And I want to take another look at this week's scripture. Remember that Mark read earlier in the service. This is from Matthew 19, beginning at verse 16, the NIV translation. It says, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. And here's his answer. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. And I wonder if the person's saying like, you know, what's, what's the minimum I need to do? But, or maybe this is a loaded question. And Jesus replied, says, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your mother and your father. And you'll notice this little superscript A. This is a reference to the law, right? The, the Ten Commandments, right? right? Jesus didn't come to obliterate the law to whatever. He's, he's teaching it. He's sharing it. He's exemplifying it and explaining it. And it says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Another reference to another passage because, right? The greatest commandment is this, but don't forget, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20, all these I've kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Right? I've got it covered. Verse 21, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He had so much to lose. And I often wonder if, if he hadn't had the other commandments, you know, um, yet checked off, that, that that would have been what Jesus asked. But he's like, so, you know, you're still holding on to something that's not yours to hold on. You're still... There's something there that, that's in the way of, of fully being on board. So he says, if you want a perfect go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, then follow me. Right? Go let go of the thing that's holding you back. In this case, his possession. And the man was sad because he had a lot. Jesus didn't dispute the man had been obedient in regard to the commandments that he had listed. And I'm sure the man wasn't perfect, so Jesus could said, what about, what about? And maybe we can um, assume that this is a rhetorical question. Jesus, what do I need to do? While believing that he had already done whatever it is that Jesus was about to say because he was a good guy. But the commandments aren't a checklist uh, or a list of bare minimums. Just do this and this and this and, and, and you'll get where you need to be. And they aren't intended to become a source of pride because we don't have to struggle with things like not murder. Well, I'm not a murderer. I mean, is that one really hard to obey? I hope you say it's not. No, Becky. No. It's not hard to obey. <laughs> no, no. Right? It's like, we're good people. We don't murder. Arguably worse. Don't we sometimes think ourselves above others because we, we see the sins that so-and-so struggle with, and that's so much more than what I do, so much worse. Guess what? It's not your place or my place to judge. And when it comes to comparing to God, who knows what each person did, what they've done, what they will do. 
he doesn't necessarily see a difference in the offense. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. It's harsh. But the point is, sin is bad. We don't get to pick and choose and say, I'm 90% good. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. That's a fact. Romans 3.10, None is righteous, no, not one. And these statements are true. They are spiritual fact. So where is the hope in these statements? Jesus. Jesus Christ. We are all, each one of us, made righteous by the grace of God through Jesus Christ when we accept that truth. It is the second part of the verse that everyone seems to know. I haven't seen this in a while, but do you remember the, the, the games in John 3, 16? We saw those signs up. I haven't seen that in a while. For God so loved the earth or the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay. Verse 17. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the key. So if you're going to indulge me, I'm going to, I'm going to share a bit of my own testimony on the topic of a baggage and surrender. And there's going to be some, some dirt revealed this morning. But mostly by way of sharing how I've struggled with the baggage over the years. And the truth is I've not always been good. Can you relate? I've not always made the best choices. I've not always been the person God created me to be or the people around me want me to be. Maybe you can relate to that too. This is not something that I say proudly, but I think it's important to confess. Am I a murderer? No. But remember what I said about the sins being equally offensive to God. I still struggle with some of the same anxiety, anger, and depressive feelings that I battled back then. And my thoughts and words can go to dark places still today. And this is not common only to me, right? This week marks the anniversary of my brother taking his own life in response to struggles just like this. And likely you, unfortunately, you probably know someone as well. And I knew that I needed to get ahead of these for myself. And I knew that God was the only solution to my struggles. And despite having been raised in the church, generally having a solid basis for my faith, I needed something more. A rekindling, a revival, a, a bolus injection of the Holy Spirit. That's where I look at Sherry and say, I looked, I used a medical term. Hey, Stephanie, bolus. Um, right? I needed a big injection of the Holy Spirit. And what a per, uh, perceptive Christian coworker gave me direction, the direction I needed. A church in the Dallas area that had, been, um, had what they called a freedom ministry. Freedom ministry. And I went hopeful but skeptical, right? What would it be like? Would it be really intense, like intervention? Or would it be touchy-feely, lots of hugs and, and skipping and, and stuff, right? I, I didn't know. But my biggest was, what if nothing changed? I'd be lost. Was this my last hope? It wasn't, but I was afraid it was. Don't worry, God met me there. And it went well. And I left there encouraged and empowered to get ahead of my struggles, to tame my demons in the name of Jesus Christ, who, by the way, had already defeated them. I just had forgotten, right? And rise above my darkest worries and feelings. And I don't know that I walked away thumping the Bible and evangelizing on, on street corners, but I had been changed by the experience. And the Apostle Paul describes as being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the people around me sensed the change. And two years later, I was invited to return to what they developed to be the, the second part of this freedom ministry. It turns out that Satan doesn't like it when we call out his lies and arrive above his condemning tone or our own negative self-talk. And they, they realize this. So they, they realize there was a spiritual need to connect and, and follow up with individuals because this is a real struggle that's ongoing. 
and we need to help stay free. I mean, Paul writes in Galatians, you know, about freedom. You've been set free. Don't become enslaved again. So again, I went to Dallas with even more hope and some lofty expectations because I know what he did last time. And I was excited to see what more there could be. And I I felt like I was going to do a fairly, I'd done a good job, a fairly good job of staying ahead of my torments and keeping that stuff in check. So what was God going to do with this experience now? It was during these three days that I realized that I had done better. I had, I had. Overcoming some of the, you know, addictions and and vices and and negative self-thought, but but I was still harboring on some level, still carrying with me an enormous amount of guilt for my sins, for my struggles and the failings of the past. God had forgiven me. I had changed my ways, I, but I hadn't quite forgiven myself, and I didn't realize that, including my own condemnation for not having a stronger faith. Can you believe that? I was, I was hard on myself for not doing, ber- doing better earlier on my own than before I let God do something. Can you believe that? That's what we do, isn't it? I'm probably not alone in that. So here I was broken again. But what I thought was a new one was just God working on an improperly healed one. He was properly working on the original one to fix it right. So flash forward a couple years. The congregation I was a part of in Kansas City was having its own event, Men's Encounter. Okay, this sounded cool. I was pumped up for this one. These weren't strangers 500 miles away. These were people that I know and saw and, and you know, could relate to. And we were going to have this awesome experience that we could talk about and continue to stay in touch and build on as a group and have some accountability. But what happened? Pride. Pride. It's a, another sin, by the way. Right. I found myself disappointed by the experience because I was comparing it to the huge impact that I'd felt from this larger, more fully developed experience in Texas. By the way, in comparison, it was Gateway Church, 15,000 people in Dallas. Blue Springs Christian Church would have 1,100. That's up still as a big church. But I, you know, I come to this event. I'm like, this is going to be just like it. When it wasn't, I found myself disappointed for stupid reasons. And I truly hate to say it, but I also found myself thinking, I'm glad I didn't have to deal with that, that sin or that vice or whatever, right? Mine was just as bad. Woodpecker, you got to love Lake Churches. Watch for deer on your way home, by the way. I had to explain that because the people listening on the podcast will not know what's going on. Um, <laughs> okay, so where was it? Oh, yeah. So what happened? Pride, right? And I, and I say I'm not happy with that, but what a horrible, horrible thought. And here comes the guilt rolling back into my heart, right? Oh, I can't believe I thought that even for a moment. I was still carrying with me so much regret and hurt and resentment that it, it was tainting my experience and my ability to come alongside others as they went through this experience with me. I needed to surrender all that stuff to truly give it up. I needed to make room for the forgiveness and healing that was intended for me, not just at the three events, right, but from day one of my life and up to and through that moment that I'm sharing with you this morning. Now, various mentors, professors, instructors, partners in ministry have, have shared with me the teaching principle that the message of Christ is an urgent one. It's important and it's urgent. Not just because no one knows when the day of judgment will come, right? So be ready. But because every single moment between this one and that one is a gift that should be lived holy, W-H, holy, and holy, H-O-L-Y, and abundantly. God will forgive you. He has promised that. He has promised that. 
But every single second that you wait to ask and accept, that forgiveness is robbing you of the blessing you could experience now. And that's the urgency. Don't waste one more moment worrying about your past mistakes. Jesus doesn't just offer, he encourages. He, he invites you to come to the table and lay down absolutely everything and pick up the only thing you truly need. Okay? If I were to ask you what hazard is holding you back, would, would you have an answer? You don't have to shout it out unless you want to, but do you have an answer for maybe something that's holding you back or has? Or think about hypothetically about someone not coming to the Christ and, and, and trading what they carry around for what he has to offer. Sometimes it's easier to look outside than in. But there are things that hold us back, and sometimes they're good and wonderful things. Good, loving relationships that still are a little bit out of priority with where they need to be. I want to share a clip with you. It's been a while since I've shared this, but this is a good one. So, Becky, if you wouldn't mind. So, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I know we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. <laughs> what, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. <laughs> 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You gonna give me your best? I'm gonna give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. <laughs> get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right, let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground, just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on, keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know I'm, he's heavy. I'm bad out of strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going. You hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. burn. It's all hard. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You promised me your best.
Look up, Brock. You're in the end zone. That won't make it to the podcast. I'll explain the this right the, the player said it can't be done. I can't go that far. Well, I think you can get to the 50-yard line with someone on your back. And, of course, the coach is in his face yelling at him, encouraging him, but yelling at him, right? And he blindfolded him so he wouldn't know where he was. He just knew that he needed to keep going. And when he got to the end, he didn't even think he'd made the 50-yard line. He'd made it all the way to the end. Coach was telling him not to surrender. Don't stop. Don't you quit. But on a deeper level, he was teaching him to surrender his own perceived knowledge and control. When Brock knew that someone was on his back and he had a task to complete, he assessed the challenge and had doubts. And when he didn't know how much further I had to go, what happened? He gave up. He surrendered before he even began. He had quit believing in himself, the coach, the lesson, and the possibility that it, was, that it could be done. He didn't believe it could be done because his mind had told him so. When he surrendered the need to know how much further and just focused on each individual step and the next and the next, he was surprised by what he accomplished, but the coach wasn't. The coach knew all along you can do this. And where were his teammates doing the, during this? They, they could see the challenge. They could see the effort. They even laughed right at the beginning. And then you saw him just quietly stand up and follow him and cheer for him. They could see the progress even when Brock couldn't. That's what life is like. Sometimes it feels like, Jesus, God, why are you yelling at me? Why are you telling me not to give up? It's so hard, the stuff you put on my back. And the angels around there going, you can do it. You, can, you don't see how close you are. Just keep it going. Keep it going. Brings about the image of the yoke. When we talk about surrender, about giving something else, we can't help but think of this image of yoke found in, in Matthew um, 11, beginning in 28. It says, come to me. Here's the invitation. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Anybody feel worried, weary and burdened? I mean, even if you don't physically feel it, is life just hard? Not bad, but hard. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's saying, surrender your own needs, your worries, your, your knowledge, right? He has knowledge. We have our need to know. And simply move in tandem with me, alongside me in the same direction at my speed. He says, I'm gentle and humble. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Friends, Christ himself invites you to surrender whatever is holding you back from fully trusting in the good shepherd, trusting the coach that's saying, I know you can do it. He delights in the peace and joy you find when you simply rely on him. So what do you have to lose? What do you need to lose? Is it a literal sin? Is it a fear? Is it a regret? Guilt? Pride? A lack of understanding of how grace truly works? Resentment? Surrender these things. Give them up. Lose them. Trade them in for some good old scriptural truth and watch what you gain. In return the things that weigh you down that hold you back have you doubting where you never intended uh, doubting where these were never intended to be a part of your life there are too much to bear and they have so much you have so much to gain by losing them how much easier would that have been without jeremy on his back how much harder would have been 
if he didn't have the coach cheering him on. The Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians described this as true freedom. It's been several years now since we did a Sunday morning Bible study based on the book, Just Enough Light for the Step I'm On. It's a fantastic book of study. And, and you can hear God's wisdom in the title, can't you? Just Enough Light for the Step I'm On. One of the aha moments for me in that study was this comparison between how we view reliance as humans and how God wants us to view reliance. The world makes reliance or any kind of dependence a bad thing, a sign of weakness. Some even call faith a crutch. For those who can't handle life, oh, you got to have a crutch. Uh, if my leg was broken, I, I don't know that I'd consider myself a wimp for needing the support of something outside of my own body for a while while I healed. And guess what? I'm, I'm, when I'm having trouble traversing life and feel wounded or broken, you better believe I'm going to use the tool that God provides. In this book, Just Enough Light for the Step I'm On, the author, Stormy O'Mardian, describes a young child relying on its parents to learn to walk until it matures enough to walk on its own without the support or encouragement of the parent. This is, this is development, right? By contrast, walking with God is just the opposite. Maturity is attained. Maturity is revealed as we transition from walking on our own to walking solely with his support and encouragement. That is spiritual walk. Here are some promises you can rely on in support for encouragement times in Scripture. Proverbs 3, 5, we know this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. I love that it's got lean in there, because, right, lean on him, not yourself. Isaiah 41, 10, this is God's own promise. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In the Psalmist David 46, 1 through 2, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. It says, therefore, we will not fear that the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Philippians 4, 13, this is a favorite, right? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Psalm 55, 22, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you, right? Lighten your load. Cast your cares on the Lord. He will never let the righteous be shaken. And I'll conclude with some profound words from the Apostle Paul recorded in his second letter to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that the Christ's power may rest on me. That is true surrender. That is not being a wimp. That is being wise as the one who's cheering you on, who has maybe put that weight on your back for times to tell you when it is okay, it is safe, it is appropriate to let it down. So much to lose. All of the things for which God offers grace and so much to gain. Let's make that our prayer. Heavenly Father, we shoulder so much. Some by choice, some, some it just feels like it lands there. There are things in this world we can control, and there are things in this world that were never ours to control. Lord, give us the discernment to know which is which, to, to make good and wise choices, to take on those responsibilities and duties that, that you call us to do, caring for others in need, praying, worshiping you, taking care and loving ourselves and our neighbors, putting those on our back. That burden is light. Heavenly Father, you invite us to the table to, to bring our stuff and to lay it down. You invite us to come. 
you say. Lord, in our hearts, may we come now to you, letting go of whatever we may have that, that held us back. And if we've overcome those in the past or, or maybe we're still struggling with them, hit and miss, or maybe it's just that memory of that period in our life or that moment in time when we made a bad choice. Help us to forgive ourselves, to let go of regret and resentment so that we can truly look forward to what's ahead of us. And when we look up, we'll be there with you, having made it all the way. That is spiritual maturity. Lord, it's hard to thank you for the journey because we know it's a tough one, but we do. Most of all, we thank you for the gift of your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.